right, all right, all right. Welcome to this week's episode of Gain It For Riffs. I am Ola. With me is Jonathan. How are you doing? I'm doing good today. I'm recording on a Friday. Sweet. I think it's good for riff energy. Definitely. Yeah, I've been thinking now we have been recording for a few weeks. And uh, yeah, it's a one thing uh, every week I look forward to immensely, actually. And uh, what I look forward to now is uh, your riff of the week. So take it away. Yeah, I'm ready. All right, today I'm with my telly and a um, little bit downtuned. So you're probably going to know the riff very easily. Yes, it's a hard one, but if I would have to guess, it's Black Sabbath Into the Void guitarist Tony Iommi. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Sweet. Uh, but which, which riff did you choose? All of them? Or is there... This is actually the main one, I guess. Yeah, that one, yeah. but I really love the verse when it kicks in there. It's a tempo shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that riff is just so heavy, so it might as well be that riff. Um, yeah. It's wow. nice. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very <laughs> Iomi, isn't it? Yeah. It's almost it's, like uh, it's... doing the thing from iron man the intro from iron man but yeah. in the context of a of a riff yeah and that's really cool uh we've been talking uh lately about uh, troll riffs and i would say this is a <laughs> this is one of these troll riffs uh, but a big stupid very slow troll <laughs> yeah i guess i'm into troll riffs now <laughs> yeah i keep bringing them out but yeah this one i have a little bit different feeling from this one than troll mm -hmm. i always felt like this was a um, like um the town hobo, like the main hobo. Let's say something like Aqualang by Jethro Tull. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this cover of that album. Yeah. Yeah, so not musically, but that's the character I see, like this uh, dirty old bastard, you know, <laughs> if you listen to it. You know, he's kind of walking slowly, almost dragging his feet. True. It's also a bit. Uh, um, it's also also a bit nagging. You know, like uh, he's nagging at you. He's like. I haven't had an easy life. No, and so shouldn't you for the li for the coming ten minutes. You have to listen to me. <laughs> okay, so so uh, 
Uh, was this a riff that you uh, that you played before, or did you have to learn it for uh, this week? Yeah, I played it before. I liked playing it, but um, uh, full transparency, I was still a little bit nervous to do it because it needs to have the right hang um, when you know when I'm playing on air, so to speak, and uh, you don't want to play it too fast. It needs no. to have that drag, and then comes that tempo shift, and that's a bit hard to nail. Actually, it sounds easy, but uh, that's kind of like um, a golden thing with sabbath especially early sabbath that they can change tempo so often without really making it sound weird yeah so uh, yeah i've been playing it for a while i, I dig this riff uh, i used to mix it up with lord of this world before but uh, into the void has since then stood out I think. Mm. one of their best songs <laughs> yeah it's super nice um but i was thinking a bit about um now let's see which, which album is it is it uh master of reality yeah Master of Reality, yeah. of course. It couldn't be any other album because, I mean, this sound they had, I would say they had this sound for this album and then they kind of abandoned it. Yeah. <laughs> the first, uh, the first uh, two albums are not down-tuned, right? No. They are in E standard and uh, it was even intended to be recorded on a Strat, the very first one. But uh, his microphone in the Strat, the pickup, broke. So he had to use a backup guitar, which turned out to be a Gibson SG. Oh, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. His uh, signature. Right? Because that's what he's completely known for. Like, you will not see him with another guitar. Yeah. It's always a Gibson SG, and it suits him very well, right? It yeah. It would be the, the black, the black uh, Gibson SG and the purple glasses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I actually think of those glasses. What do you think about those glasses? I don't know. Uh, I mean, he, I, don't, I don't really remember when he started uh, wearing them, but I guess in the 90s, maybe? He got a bit older, like he that, yeah. protect his eyes, uh, need some sunglasses indoors. It makes yeah, perfect I sense. I think it's just a rich man look, isn't it? Yeah, a little like bit. When you get to a rich to a certain level, you start using these uh, slightly light-tinted sunglasses mm. all the time. Mm. No, but purple, I'm just imagining here. The purple makes sense. I mean, the, the cover of this album is uh, quite purple. And it, it's uh, yeah. this kind of, uh, it, it's a doomy color, <laughs> purple and black. Awesome cover. I love the cover. It's, um, you know, I would never think of it myself. Not that I'm a seasoned uh, graphic designer or anything, but mm. you know, I, I have ideas for, for covers. But I would never think, like, just, just put this wavery, flaggish font yeah. in dark purple on black. You know, I, I wouldn't see that really translating, but it does, right? I like it anyway. Mm. Do you know the story behind that cover? I don't, actually. Oh, me neither. <laughs> I, I know the story about uh, the uh, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath cover, but I don't know this one. Uh, that mm. one, interestingly enough, is uh, uh, drawn by uh, the same uh, uh, yeah, illustrator that made all these 80s uh, posters like Indiana Jones and Star Wars mm. and... Uh, what's his name? Uh, I will edit that in in post, or probably not. But uh, uh, that's like a, on a whole different level. But this is really minimalist. It's really, it's really Very. nice. And coming off the, <laughs> the paranoid, yeah. I think it's cover, just, yeah, paranoid is, is so paranoid strange. is like a funny failure, isn't it? I, I love it in a way. Because it's such it's a like strange, uh, it's kind such of a strange it's kind cover. of failed. And Tony said that in several interviews that that cover doesn't make any sense mm. because the cover is meant to be war pigs. But to be honest, it wouldn't really work for Warpigs either, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, going back to, uh, to last week's episode, it's a bit uh, reminiscent, or I'm uh, reminded of the Mega Man, uh, the first cover that was released in the US. Have you seen that one? Uh, 
the, I don't know. I haven't for the uh, first game, not for the yeah, second the fir- game. The first game, they, they, they wanted to release it uh, as a Japanese game and they wanted to release it in the US and they wanted to, they didn't want this kind of uh, manga style robot on the cover. So sure. they, <laughs> they hired someone. Uh, Drew Struzan is his name, the, the illustrator I was thinking about. They hired someone in the vein of Drew Struzan to make a cover, but this guy was a total hack. So everything, all the proportions are wrong. There's the, the only thing you kind of, your, your eye wanders and it looks as a palm tree that's kind of put in there. And it says Mega Man <laughs> and his face is like, he looks... Mega Man looks like he had a stroke. It's like that. That's the <laughs> cover. So is this made by the same guy that made Sabbath Bloody Sabbath? No, 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 no. But some, no. someone in the same vein. They were looking for someone to make ah, it, ah, or okay. like like Frank Frazetta, like the Conan uh, uh, cover art. You know, yeah, something yeah. really cool. But then, then you look at that one. I, I will send it to you. Maybe we can put it on the Instagram or something. This compar- sure. comparison between that one and Paranoid, and you will see what I I mean. Yeah, I'm not going to linger too much on Mega Man, but uh, I just have to address that in the, I, my first uh, game was number two, right? And yeah. The one I, I picked a riff from, and that was also Americanized. And I, in, in Sweden, we had the Americanized cover version, which uh, basically was Mega Man realistically drawn, like yeah. a, a quite old man. Uh, yeah, but this is... Uh... trying to look like, I don't know, Sly or something, you know, kind of reaching for that age. And it looked quite terrible too, like all wrong, really. Yeah, but maybe it's the same cover we're talking about. We have to uh, we have yeah, to sure. uh, look into that, but not now because this is radio uh, or this a is podcast. Radio. <laughs> so yeah, images yeah. they don't not, do uh, well. Guys looking things up on the internet. <laughs> this no. is uh, gain it for riffs. <laughs> yeah, right? uh, yeah. We have no idea what we're talking about, but we <laughs> we try to sound like we do. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, okay. The covers of Black Sabbath. We could talk about that, but uh, I'm I'm with you. This is a very cool cover. Uh, very cool song. Uh, actually, I was <laughs> I heard a, a cover version of it today, uh, but I had oh, to kind right. of turn it off because it, it was not very good. It was oh, uh, interesting because maybe it's the same cover that I really like. Oh, that would really be interesting because I heard a cover that I thought was great. Okay, it might be the same one. You tell that me that you're now dissing. Tell me, <laughs> tell me first. It was uh, I heard a cover by Cancer Bats. No, it was Sack Wild covering. Ah. Ah, okay, okay. I think you should listen to Cancer Bats. They do an awesome version of it. Okay, nice. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're kind of these also Melvin's worship guys. I, mm. I have a sense of that anyway. Seems like to be the same kind of people anyway. Same, same kind of crew, Cancer Bats. They're kind of a <laughs> punkish, uh, hardcore metal, but not hardcore in the sense of hate, hate breed, more in the sense of um, Fate No More or something like that, you know, groovy. Okay, sure. No, I li- I like them already. Uh, but I'm curious about the riff. How do you play it? Like, what do you? What what is? Oh, yeah. the, is there a main uh, stick about this riff that really like stands out? Uh, I would say for me the main stick is. That little thing, right? The mega bluesy, and that's a pull off. Uh, I'm in C sharp, uh, C sharp standard. My guitar is the tuning they used for all of Master of Reality. And uh, large parts of the coming albums after the two albums, three albums after, but um, yeah, it's um, I think that's the kind of main thing. And then uh, obviously the bend in the verse, like that one, not oh, yeah. bad, right? It's so long; it it fills up like half of that bar. Yeah, it's it's really impressive in a way that it, it kind of events time. Uh, you know, like a band normally, it's like, you know. Yeah, exactly. 
he is like traditional or like we did it, we did it, we did, we did it, something like that. But he, yeah. he, he's going for something completely different, and that must be because of his uh, uh, low tuning and uh, low string gauge that he he can really move. That but 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 it's note. hard not to get like the fret bus or something when uh, when it's really like we're getting towards loose. It's really loose strings, you know. And I think he didn't. Well, I, I'm not sure. I wanted to ask you this actually because uh, I don't think he had very thick strings, right? Uh, no. <laughs> so it's amazing that he was able to play this. I mean, w- when we tune down to C or uh, two two steps, we we had to have really uh, thick strings. I I had like a an <laughs> a high twelve sixty eight. I think. I had a high G string, a high bass G string on my lower E. That's how thick (laughs) my strings were, just to keep the tuning. Uh, Tony Omi probably had uh, like a 0.46 or something, maybe lighter, just to be able to play with his uh, uh, mutilated fingers. He used 10.46 when he was in G sharp, uh, or 9, 9 or 10, I'm not sure, but he used uh, either one of those. And then uh, before that, when he was in E, he used like 0.06. So he had to use, uh, quite opposite to you, he had to use a banjo string for the lightest string. <laughs> he was also went venturing into another instrument to, in order to get the right gauge. But uh, yeah, I think when he tuned down to C sharp, that was a solution. So he could use normal, you know, uh, fabric model strings and still uh, play. Yeah, I thought about, uh, or I, I saw them, some clips of them playing live and it sounded really out of tune. So it must have been really hard in the 70s without, you know, probably proper monitoring to hear yourself and hear if you're out of tune with those and that sure. would happen a lot with those uh, uh, thin strings it's really crazy yeah i think it's quite interesting uh, this is going to be another little tangent here but uh, <laughs> i was listening to an interview with nick anderson uh, famous uh, as the first mm. drummer of entombed the nihilist and uh, subsequently the frontman of uh, the helicopters, helicopters. Ooh, yeah. one of sweden's uh, biggest uh, rockers uh, definitely, you know, without definitely. a doubt, right? And, definitely. Uh, I was listening to an interview when they recorded by the by the grace of God. They were very, yeah, I don't have a better word. They were very, very anal about the tuning. Uh, yeah, trying to get it very correct <coughs> and right because they used that crisp, very dry guitar sound. So they wanted mm-hmm. it to tune perfectly, and they had huge problems getting it right. And he said that uh, other than that, it was a very great recording in a nice place in the archipelago of Stockholm and everything, but with their home-cooked meals, but he said that that kind of destroyed the vibe a bit, that they were so anal about the tuning. And then he said, like, and then, you know, today I go and listen to old Black Sabbath records, and that shit is never in tune, (laughs) even on the records. And he's right. It's It's really never. And then he said that I have now realized that we shouldn't have thought so much about this. We should have waited until a later stage of the recording and see if it's not covered up by, you know, cymbals, mixing, uh, vocals, whatnot. And of course, he, he has a good point. Everything doesn't have to sound perfect, isolated. Helicopters, they were always in uh, tuned down one uh, half step, just like Kiss. I think that was actually uh, why they were... I'm not sure, but I, I think so. But for his vocals, I think. That's a, like a vocal trick. Okay, ah, tuned down that, that, uh, that's true. But Kiss was always uh, down-tuned uh, half a step. Interesting. That's... Uh... Yeah, we'll return to that. Maybe they were the kind of the first band to do that, I guess. Because I always thought about Slayer uh, for this. 
Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of a, it's, I guess you're totally right. It's all about like the the vocals, uh, your voice fitting. I mean, sometimes you put on a capo and uh, play on the first, just the first uh, fret, yeah, because that really helps uh, some voices to uh, uh, mine, for instance. I I really like it. Oh, you like to play I an really F, like yeah. to have, uh, yeah, yeah. Or maybe it's because I have a theory about that. <laughs> About you and F. Okay. So I'm just quickly okay. going to do it. And I think it might be because we used to tune down to C. And then the A string is F. And uh, we would kind of play some songs around that. Uh, but I'm not sure. It's just a funny theory. Because when but you I tune down to right. C, you I get F. I think it makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, anyway. Yeah, we're, we're, we're talking about Black Sabbath. Another nice riff, right? <laughs> just because i'm in c sure. sharp now when you're in c sharp you have to pull out these riffs <laughs> yeah so um to go back to um, the riff of today or rather the verse part you know, i always felt that it was kind of a funny uh, vocal arrangement on top of there <laughs> because it's just yeah. it's a pretty cool lyric by geezer you, it must be by geezer i'm a hundred percent sure and it's a pretty cool lyric but it's kind of just shoehorned in there you know, there is no, they haven't really <laughs> written a vocal part for it. So he just comes in. And in the Cancer Bats cover, actually, they had uh, improved it, which was okay. impressive to me. Really? At, at the very end of each verse, they had put in a, a bit of a more, um, a very Mike Patton Fate No More-ish rhythm that really kind of uh-huh. tied it together. So instead okay. of like... Uh, uh, man prepares to meet his destiny. And the mm. original is just straight, but in the cancer battle it was, Man prepares to meet his destiny! <laughs> and I, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so like, uh, yeah, that's really late uh, 80s, early Fate No More, for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> At- attitude. <laughs> I like it. Or Ray, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, yeah. <laughs> style. But uh, uh, yeah, the song is about uh, space and uh, d- disappearing in the void. <laughs> Planets colliding, right? It surely and is, like right? Uh, burning metal through the atmosphere. I don't have the lyrics in front of me. <laughs> uh, but I do have the album laying here on CD, so I might pick it out. Mm. That's better than looking things up on the internet. That's old school. Here we go. Into the void. Rocket engines burning fuel so fast, up into the night sky they blast. Through the universe, the engines whine. Could it be the end of man and time? Back to earth, the flame of life burns low. Everywhere is misery and woe. Pollution kills the air, the land, the sea. Man prepares to meet his destiny! Uh, there, there are a whole host of bands that uh, just base their sound on this song. But also, they while while they did that, they also took the lyrics and they only write, you know, like space-related lyrics. And I have a riff that really I, I was thinking of bringing it to a program, but I, I it's not the band is not interesting at all. But uh, the riff is really cool. Mm-hmm. So let's see. <laughs> Remember that yeah, one? Yeah, I think you used to play that all the time in the beginning, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a bit faster this one. Orange but th- Goblin this band, uh, Orange Goblin. Yeah, yeah. they they they're, <laughs> they're all about this album is called the Big Black 
and it's about it's, it has a, wo a woman that fades into like a, a black hole or a supernova or something on the on the cover and all the songs are about space <laughs> like, yeah. this very dopey way and like this was maybe the fastest riff on the album the rest is really, really like Ooh, all right, yeah. into the void uh, yeah. Yeah. now that i'm reading the lyrics i realize that these are not my favorite uh, geezer lyrics even by a stretch they're fun <laughs> they're fun i like some parts like i like uh, up into the night sky they blast i think that sounds pretty mm. cool uh, actually the first two rows rocket engines burning fuel so fast is also quite nice but the, oh, then yes you know it's kind of bland stuff about the earth uh, being um, you know some kind of armageddon situation the pollution of land and sea and uh, everywhere is misery and whoa i don't really i don't really feel it <laughs> do you feel it um yeah but i mean a little bit i mean it, it's uh I can I can think that it was inspired maybe by the oil crisis during the seventies, which was a huge thing. Interesting. When they uh, made this uh, uh, oligarchs, uh, they went together and uh, you know ra raised the prices uh, immensely, and uh, everything all of a sudden like driving your car became really expensive, and yeah, this almost destroyed the economy. And okay. that also spoke a lot to. Um, uh, sci-fi writers like uh, Frank Herbert who wrote, wrote Dune that is uh, also coming out soon with a new film which I'm very excited about yeah. it's, that made this kind of ecological uh, sci-fi a new th it was a new thing and it was really like uh, talking about uh, the current climate and uh, how we're so relying on yeah rocket fuel and uh, uh, yeah but oil and just for everything we do and uh, I think Geezer maybe taps into this or, uh, you know, he watched like uh, Dark Star, this uh, movie that came just before Star Wars, which is <laughs> the, yeah. the worst science fiction film ever made uh, about like uh, the, the, the main alien is um, uh, beach volleyball with legs. <laughs> <laughs> and that's I, I it. find this incredibly interesting, actually, like, uh, because I guess in my world, this kind of uh, dystopian uh, tragedy environmental tragedy sci-fi is so so household like i thought that was it you know even sonic even mm. it was a like sonic cartoon when i was a kid but i had this team sonic in the sega game and so, oh, yeah, yeah. so i always felt like that's so standard right but maybe it was quite fresh this is this album is from 1971 right so it's quite early mm. yeah no but it, it, i think so if i think it's uh quite related to a time it, it's times i mean i'm also thinking about what what are the other songs about you know do you have children of the grave no that's about atomic warfare right has to be yeah and then you have uh sweet leaf about marijuana <laughs> i love you <laughs> after forever seems like a similar thing to uh into the void maybe christian song actually it's... after forever oh it's been confirmed shit. yeah which is interesting i, I quite like oh, that yeah. you know because it's because mm. they kind of get away with it right but who was Christian? Or uh, what was I don't know who was Christian at 1971, but I know that uh, Tony, Tony claims that he always was, and Ozzy claims that he always was. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they talk about the crosses uh, that they were wearing, that they, they came from, I think, Tony's dad or something like that. Oh, yeah, the big crosses. These crosses, like, for, for good luck. And, I mean, they had a good career. So. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> they, they had did. some, they some good sure. old help from... From God, there. I don't know, but after forever, it's about <laughs> it's about that, and it's written kind of. Uh, 
it's easy to read. If you read it, it's easy to understand the message. But still, they got away with it, and still they were kind of badass. Uh, can I play it? Or? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's a really cool riff. Uh, it's a cool album. I, I don't know. It's I, I think about it and say, ah, it's a really cool album. But yeah, it's yeah. They, there's some something about it. Maybe it's all these tiny um, songs uh, that uh, Tony fits in. These small uh, uh, these small instrumentals that just kind of breaks up the album in a weird way for me. That uh, makes it not not so cohesive. Okay, but. Both of them, I don't know. Well, Embryo and Orchid, in this case, uh, if you're, if if the listener is wondering, and uh, it's just mm. eight songs, and two of them are yeah. these little interludes, so it's like a six-song exactly. album. And uh, yeah, I never really listen to Master of Reality these days. I don't pick it up. I pick up uh, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, uh, Dio albums, and uh, mm. uh, Sabotage mostly these days. But you know, they have a quite big discography, so you can switch around. And uh, I wanted you to guess what is my favorite song on Master of Reality. <laughs> the last song, of course. Yeah, I would say it has my favorite riffs in it, but I'm quite a big fan of uh, Solitude, actually. The second last song. Yeah, it's nice. I think it's quite a, quite a well-written, nice uh, little sad ballad there. So how does the vocals go? Mm. It's too <laughs> high for me to sing. My fortune is nothing... Yeah, I mean, my fortune is nothing. My fortune is less. Oh, or something. My fortune happened with my tenderness. It's such a strange. It's so un, uh, he sings in a totally different manner in this song. It's great. It's really good. Yeah, yeah, I dig it. I dig it. Uh, it's kind of the voice from the first album. You know, a little bit deeper. I can sleep in village. Not not right. A bit like that, but better. Solitude is better. Like it's a nicer composition. I think it's a very beautiful melody. And you know, in your rendition, I was always already like in it. Uh, it really sucks me in that melody. Uh, I'm not good. really sure why. it's, yeah, folky, it's a bit folky. Maybe. It's a bit folky, like uh, Northern European sad folkiness. Yeah, and I mean, the, the, and also, also for for once, I think uh, he doesn't sing after the riff. Uh, he he has his own melody, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, it happens. It happens it in does. other songs too. Like uh, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath has a few of those just mm -hmm. very, very good melodies. Like um, yeah. National Acrobat, for example, mm. when he sings on the chords. Um, so it, it does happen, but often he also sings exactly the riff, which is it, it can work and it cannot work. It depends depending on song. Yeah, but uh, great pick, Jonathan. Anything else you want to go through? Is it in the is it in the minor? Ah, uh, yeah, it's blues. Uh, blues key. <laughs> that key. <laughs> Stoner rock key, I guess. It's just a pentatonic with the um, devil's uh, triad in there, the Diablo's oh, yeah. in music or the low fifth. Which is uh, probably going to come up a lot in Gain It for Ifs because it's a very oh. riffy note, isn't it? <laughs> Play it one more time, please. Sure. Yeah, 
Thank you very very much great rendition by the way thanks yeah super nice i'll have to uh, when when the show is over i have to learn it myself <laughs> i get the feeling every show almost at least listen to it right it's uh, when you bring out the riffs and you really go through them you get like a i guess a new connection to the song no for way, sure right? for sure yeah, it's something about uh, dissecting it isn't it that's it's kind of fun for me it doesn't really ruin the magic either there's it's still magic even if i know more of it mm. or more about it yeah Amazing. We'll we'll return to Black Sabbath for sure. Yeah, we will probably you know, most most episodes. Uh, what's your magic for today? Uh, well, I hope uh, in my in my dream uh, I will just play this perfectly, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I uh, to be transparent, I have play I have practiced this more than I practiced any other riff for this show, um, and it's still not quite there. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm uh, curious. <laughs> Very easy to pick out too, and uh, <laughs> kind, kind of related, right? Uh, the same vocalist as my choice today, which is uh, you know something that could probably happen with uh, this guy because yes. we're talking about Ozzy Osbourne, and um, this is Crazy Train, obviously. Yes, uh, riff by Randy Rhodes, uh, kind of a legend, almost like a martyr within Guitar Heroes. Yeah, Psych Wild calls him Saint Rhodes. <laughs> yeah, he does. I laugh. I laugh at that actually. I mean, no disrespect, no disrespect to either no. of them, but it's a little bit funny, I think. No, but he he's, he takes himself he takes everything very seriously. Uh, Wild. Weirdly enough, because he's self-deprecating in a way. He can talk about himself in third person and be like, "I'm I'm a stupid guy. I'm a stupid biker." But then he's like, "Yeah, but yeah. Uh, Saint Rhodes, he would play it like this." I, I, I I'm totally in honor <laughs> of this guy, and he's such a nerd when it comes to him. And I, I see it. I, I, I can see it. When it comes to these guys. Yeah, mm. he's a geek, right? And I think he refers to his wife as something like the eternal partner or something even grander than that. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah, he's very oh, Christian yeah. too now. I think. It's uh, Irish, Irish Catholic, uh, I think. Catholic, oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah Irish Catholic. Uh, it's from the Boston area, I think. It sounds like it when he speaks. Um, so anyway, uh, well, his hero, uh, Randy Rhodes, I... Um, I was a bit, uh, I mean, I'm playing the first part because it, it belongs there, sort of. But the, my favorite riff is, and the riff I want to talk about, is the riff that goes in A, ma a major, uh, the verse riff. That, uh, mm, the, the hard one, uh, it's pretty hard riff. It's, it's extremely difficult uh, to learn, but it was also very interesting uh, to go through. And I, I would like to kind of... Uh, reiterate how I went, uh, uh, how I went through it, uh, how the learning process. 
So uh, first, first of all, maybe the, the the toughest thing is that there's a kind of unusual um, uh, uh, finger uh, uh, placement uh, uh, or change of finger placement that takes place uh, from the first to the second chord. It's beautiful. There are two different finger finger settings there that uh, really like. Oh, okay, I can't even do this. You know, my fingers go just go everywhere. But so that's where I had to start. That's what what I had to learn first. And then you're like, oh yeah, okay, okay, I can play. So it's kind of my first version of the remix. Okay, okay, but then you realize there's a lot of like 16th notes in between there. And they're so fast. Yeah. Those ones, right? Or even maybe picking the, the A string in between. Is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if I play it uh, really slow. And actually, the, the, the last thing I play there, uh, which is the, the fast, it's not not even the hardest part of the song. It's yeah. it's really like getting all uh, in between the the chords, uh, getting all those palm mutes in. It's still uh, yeah, I'm still struggling with it, but it's really mm. like when when and I don't think I played it perfectly. Now uh, I will I will have to see. Maybe later I will, but. Uh, yeah, work in progress, I mean, and this is Randy Rhodes, so it's tough stuff. A few quick questions uh, on, on that riff. Uh, the A, is it like an open cowboy A? Uh, like in the Zeppelin song we did, or is it another fingering? It's uh, you chord? play it like an. Uh, triad, maybe? I've, I've, what I hear is something like this an open A string, and then 7th um, fret on D, 6th fret on G, and 5th fret on B. But I don't know. Exactly. It's, uh, it's like uh, you would take um, an F cowboy chord, but you move it up. Yeah, uh, that's a triad. It's quite yeah. bright, right? That's what I like. It has this Californian sunshine. Right? Yeah, uh, what, what's, what's interesting about this song is that it goes from a uh, F-sharp minor riff to an A major and then uh, back into an F-sharp minor riff in the, in the chorus. So we, we start off with, uh, of course. So you go from like something really like yeah, okay, this is kind of heavy, uh, well, evil. I think I think it's, the riff is a bit uh, you know carnivalesque almost. This uh, the first part is like it, it it's it's yeah, it's, it's it sounds like uh, the title. Yeah, it marries the title exactly quite perfectly. 
All aboard! <laughs> and uh, but I would I also the, these keys are parallel. Yeah, uh, it's the same notes in um, F sharp minor. And, yeah, so it's uh, a major. very uh, it, it's an easy um, switch. Smart move. It works really nice. Yeah, and I think uh, when I hear that riff, the first riff for me it sounds kind of like the Randy Rhodes adaption of this classic tone Aoma riff that goes like this. In G, in G minor from uh, the song Black Sabbath. I feel like Crazy Train is like an 80s adaption, uh, Californian 80s adaption of the Black Sabbath riff, but I might be overanalyzing that. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe. Um, but uh, then, it, of course, it goes back to after the, the sunshine, it goes back. How, however it goes i didn't get that far it's uh, it must be said that this song is so it's so much going on it's so difficult uh and he is is it the first song out on uh, on any aussie solo album like uh, it opens his whole yeah. solo career um yeah exactly it's yeah. Uh, it's uh, his first solo uh, outing and uh, um it's really like a statement i think it's fantastic it is and i think that's why it's quite uh, like a lot mm. of guitar tricks in there as well because this is the yeah. first time for Randy Rhodes to show his Yeah, gear, and, and I mean, uh, speaking about you know? Randy Rhodes, he is uh, he was an, a really accomplished uh, musician. He, he was described as like a wonder child, a wunderkind, and he was his mother yeah. uh, had a, uh, was to to uh, his father had left them when he was like one and a half, and uh, to uh, make ends meet, his mother started a music school. And uh, he he went to this music school, uh -huh. and then he started teaching at the music school. <laughs> he just became like he was so good at all the instruments he picked up. But then um, uh, he played in a, a lot of bands before he kind of realized what kind of music he wanted to play. And one of his first band had kind of I don't know I don't know if this this uh, band band name is cool or really like the worst band name, but they called themselves the Whore. <laughs> I think I think that's actually pretty good. I have to say, it's pretty. Well, good. we have cancer bats. We have the whore. Uh, yeah, your pick, folks. Um, but then he um, he went to see an Alice Cooper show, and uh, after afterwards he just stared. He was standing, staring at the stage, and was like, "Yeah." Uh, he, his brother recalls that uh, he was like a catatonic almost. He stared at the stage and said. Yeah, I, I know what I must do. I know what I must become. And then from there on, he became this kind of lead guitarist. Uh, he really uh, went really deep. And, and But also because he had this uh, musical schooling, he was really like, he knew classical music and he kind of became the uh, front man for the neoclassical metal um, type of uh, playing. Yeah, sure. So that he sure did. I mean, uh, the only guy that I could pick out. Uh, that's clearly neoclassical, um, like um, originator within uh, hard rock. Is uh, that was maybe a little bit before him would be mm. uh, Uli John Roth, in uh, in from the Scorpions, uh, and then later a, a solo career. Yeah, uh, he was on the early Scorpions albums. That's how I know him, and he shreds the shit out of those, uh, you know, harmonic minors and stuff, and uh, combines it with his love for Jimi Hendrix. So very cool guitarist, I would say. And Michael Schenker was also a little bit on on that side, but. Uh, besides these German guys, uh, Randy Rhodes was uh, early. And of course, Richie Blackmore has to be mentioned. 
and uh, a bit later uh, Yngwie Malmsteen also or just about there yeah yeah but uh, i was thinking about the originators but obviously Yngwie Malmsteen kind of is <laughs> yeah. a figurehead uh, say, the, the right to do uh, anecdotes about Yngwie Malmsteen we have to learn a riff about him so we leave that for another show i think because there's a lot to say but i True. think it's more fun yeah. if we really like work hard for it um yeah, yeah i'm putting down a note here Yngwie Malmsteen yeah. later qualify first <laughs> but yeah so you so, see so he kind of deserves this moniker saint Rhodes. um and funnily funnily enough or not so funny but um uh ossie he uh, it, it was very you know ossie had just left black sabbath he needed a new band he was going to do a solo career kind of very pushed by his then manager sharon and uh, to to make something, and she really like oh, looked through and really got like great musicians. Uh, like first it was um, uh, the keyboardist, the was no the the bass player, uh, or is it key the bass player from Rainbow, or was it the keyboardist Dog Airy? Um, oh yeah, uh, yeah. Don Airy is the keyboardist. Yeah. Awesome keyboardist. He actually plays, uh, if I'm not wrong, he plays with the current lineup, okay. lineup of Deep Purple. And he's like probably the only guy they could yeah. have that could do it justice. If you, if you have John Lord, uh, you know, his shoes to fill, yeah. they are enormous. So um, Don Airy is like a, a legend on, um, on rock keyboard. Exactly. <clears throat> um, and then, uh, yeah, well... Um, well, she picked a really good band that she immediately fired also after the first album, and then they they got uh, Tony Tommy Aldrich from Black Oak, Arkansas, really good drummer, uh, really enjoyed playing with uh, Randy Rhodes, as he said afterwards. It kind of went very fast. Uh, Ozzy was in L.A. He went to look for a band, and he uh, he uh, got. Uh, a friend of Randy Rhodes that was hanging out with Ossie told him that, yeah, you have to check out my friend. He's a really good young guitar player. And they met briefly, according to uh, Ossie, but according to Randy, uh, he did a small uh, tryout and he got the gig. And Ossie said, yeah, we, we met that time and I gave him the gig. But apparently Ossie was really drunk and was just sitting in the control room and they didn't even meet. And then a few weeks later... Uh, Randy Rhodes uh, traveled to Europe, to England, to meet Ozzy, but he uh, didn't have the right papers, so he was put in jail and then uh, then sent back in hand handcuffs on the plane. <laughs> then, From, uh, so the, the the Brits didn't they didn't uh, let him in. No, exactly. And uh, what happened then was that Ozzy finally like realized, okay, maybe I should be nice to this guy. So he uh, called and apologized, and they fixed everything, and he came over. And uh, they started uh, hanging out and playing music in uh, Ozzy's estate on the uh, British, uh, on the Engli mm -hmm. English countryside. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think this this it was a long story. But I think it's interesting because after uh, Randy Rhodes' early death, uh, Ozzy always spoke fondly of him and really like, oh, I, I wish he was here. But they really had a troubled relationship. Um, uh, Randy Rhodes was the first to. Uh, criticize Ossie for his drinking and his drugs and Ossie was just like firing people left and right uh, fi probably fired Randy Rhodes even uh, but then after his death uh, he really got this like say, uh, martyr or saint uh, you know risen into sainthood uh, which is a bit yeah 
It's a bit yeah. double this uh, act acting of uh, Ozzy. I think. Yeah, I think it makes sense, right? What what year was this? It was released mm. in 1980, something like that, right? Mm. 1981. Yeah, so early 80s, and if you look at it, it makes sense because he, Ozzy was impossible yeah. in Black Sabbath just a couple yeah. of years before that, right? He wouldn't show up. And it, sometimes he sh- did show up, but he didn't <laughs> want to sing. So he showed up in the studio and was like, nah, I don't want to sing. So he was extremely hard to have in a band and very like destroyed. And I think Sharon tried to pick up what was left of him. And really, it's a miracle that the career went so totally. well because he's arguably bigger yeah. than Black Sabbath in a way. I'm not sure by, by sales numbers or anything, but I think uh, obviously mm. he's the biggest name. Mm. Uh, that's for sure. But I think even his like solo career has um, maybe like in competition with uh, the Black Sabbath career in terms of yeah, like, definitely. sales and definitely and so uh, forth. So that's pretty cool that uh, they, they could make that happen. And I guess he actually needed <laughs> Sharon. <laughs> well, he needed Sharon, but he for sure he needed yeah. Randy Rhodes. I mean, he uh, uh, Randy had already he had played previously in uh, Quiet Riot, uh, maybe this the the band that he was most famous for before joining uh, Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, then they in the beginning they called themselves Blizzard of Oz. The, that was the band name, but it, it became the name of okay yeah, yeah, that's the album name right but so randy rhodes he uh yeah maybe you know the story of how he died uh, i think i do okay i'm gonna have to fill it in i guess but uh, it was something along the lines of like uh playing around with small airplanes like flying in loops or something you know it was some kind of yeah no, there was joke, a, a, a guy in the who was working for them i don't, don't think he was a musician but he uh he uh, they were in down in florida uh randy rhodes had already declared that he would quit the band he would uh, go to school and finish his, his degree in music i think and uh or like do a university mm-hmm. course and um uh they were one day they were staying at an airfield in uh, in Florida, and there was a small plane there that uh, a guy from the uh, from their group uh, borrowed without asking permission, and he went flying first with uh, uh, the bass player, or uh, maybe yeah, Doug, uh, Don Airy, right, the, the keyboard player, um, and then they 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 did this uh, really like he was diving towards the. Uh, the vehicles where the ba- the rest of the band was sleeping and like you know diving and then pulling on the the steering just to get uh, get back up. You really like you know attacking sort of uh, for fun. Uh, yeah. So, but they, they landed. Everything was okay. Uh, and then uh, Randy Rhodes was asked, uh, "Maybe you should. Uh, you want to come up? You want to come up? You know, really like ah." And he was like, ah, "I don't know. Uh, I, I would like to take some pictures of the countryside with my camera." So they went up, and then hmm. Don Airy uh, explains that he was down. He was the only one awake, and he was on the ground looking up at the airplane, and uh, he was uh, taking pictures with his camera. And he saw that there was some kind of struggle hmm. in the cockpit, and uh, the wings were just like starting to go uh, up and down, and the the plane just like almost touched the ground, and they, they pulled it up. But then it uh, drove straight, flew straight into this mansion, straight into the garage, and exploded. And uh, yeah, they all died. With they, there was nothing left. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's tragic, right? It's tragic, and it kind of, you know, not to 
put anyone down, but it's kind of yeah, stupid. This, whole thing, the, right? insanely stupid. But I think like normally when you maybe if if there would be a movie about Ozzy Osbourne or like you know th this was would kind of be play, played off you know at this, this tragic midpoint before the return. Uh, before J.K. Lee comes in and fills the shoes. Or... <laughs> yeah. J.K. Lee is my favorite guitarist in Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, but he... actually, mm. I, I love his playing. Mm. I love his playing. Uh, love what his what do too. we have? We have. Uh, uh, I guess he, he wrote "Bark at the Moon," right? Uh, yeah. Kind of, Randy Rhodes kind of yeah set the the standard for okay, this is how Ozzy Osbourne should sound. I mean, he he came with the idea that. Uh, not every song would be in the same key, which was kind of, is kind of standard for a rock album. They would always, you know, do all these kind of different keys and uh, yeah, play with this minor major. A very colorful playing style with the different keys, the minor the major, and also using a lot of light strings inside of the riffs. Exactly, like sixteenth notes and mm. things like that. And, uh, I find it very fun, and it's definitely a riff type that I gravitate towards sometimes mm. when I'm writing a song. Like, okay, it, this part needs energy. Let's try and find this uh, Randy <laughs> Rhodes style riff, you know, bright 16 notes, interesting um, mm. harmonizations. I think it was really interesting that we each picked a uh, a riff with Ozzy Osbourne as the frontman, but they're both, they're so different. It's really, uh, but it also kind of points towards, you know, Ozzy needed a clean break from Black Sabbath. And I think that it's really was successful yeah. and really like the, a, um, a uh, a big uh, a, a sm fresh shift, I would say, and also the band got a fresh shift, right? With the yeah, the Hell, Black Sabbath, yeah, uh, for sure, with Dio. So I think it was like a mm. definitely a win-win. If you're looking at uh, Never Say mm. Die and Technical Ecstasy, definitely a win-win. Both of them reaching higher quality of, or and definitely mm. higher inspiration yeah, but, levels. But I, I think say. it's it speaks to Sharon's uh, uh, level, like uh, of confidence, also in in her drunk. Uh, abusive husband, really. That okay, he he can reach higher. You know, he just needs people around him that can make this possible. He needs enablers, you know, in a good and yeah. a bad way, and that's kind of how she played it, yeah, all the time. She's mafia, right? She's like basically okay. from a mafia family, really? so I think she's good in helping yeah. people helping people rise. Yeah, I'm pretty much sure that her father was like a, mm. a kind of a don, you know. Wow. Um, I wanted to ask you about these riffs. Um, we're 10 years apart, right? Here, I picked one from 71, yeah. this is 81. And uh, in my riff, you had that old, uh, old dirty <laughs> man walking in the park and, you know, exactly. kind of slobberish creature. That was my feeling. What feeling do you get from this yeah. sunshiny riff? For me, that's almost, this is more like, you know, a young fit man running in the sun. And <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the song is about get, you know? uh, the Cold War. And uh, surprisingly enough, I mean, it, it's about uh, uh, this, uh, yeah, the, uh, what is it? The mental wounds start, uh, start healing. No, what is he singing? Yeah. I mean, mm. uh, metal, me wounds. metal wounds okay. is what I've been hearing. But maybe uh, that's uh, just me making it up. <laughs> it's my favorite part of the song. <laughs> It's perfectly into the kind of bland chorus. Yeah, I mean, it, it, but I really love, you know, the, the, first, uh, the first lyrics. You know, it's, it's just wonderful how he sings it. The crazy, but that's how it goes. Millions of people living as foes. I mean, isn't that... It's so, 
it's nice, you know, like it's like, oh, it's a sad state of the world, but you feel like, oh yeah, I'll go to the beach, you know, they get the get the tan on. I don't know. What well, I don't care what this song is about. Yeah, just exactly. Happy, happy to be here. It clashes greatly, right? Yeah. It clashes greatly with the lyrics. That the lyrics are kind of um, on the sad side, mm -hmm. but the song is so uplifting, and I like that. Uh, I don't really know why I dig this when there's a contrast between lyrics and and yeah. note um, tonal content. But I think I like it because you're not really you're not being uh, it's not no. on the nose as much in a way. If it was like a sad song, it's like yeah, but. Would be, yeah, but would it be also kind of like obvious. incorporates because of this uh, the shifting between the minor and the uh, the major. It really incorporates this, uh, you know, how if to me how, how how do we live in a world that is crazy? I mean, we can't think about the the sad parts of it, the the things that are wrong all the time because then we go crazy. You know, you had to you have to pick your battles, and I think uh, the, <laughs> in this song, I mean, they're they're really like okay, there is a uh, there is a dark side and there is a light side. And they meet, you know. We we need both. I mean, I think that's yeah, it's getting a bit deeper here. And uh, gain it for reefs. Very true. I yeah. love the lyrics now <laughs> in Crazy Train. <laughs> you've yeah. you've opened them up to a whole yeah, new it, level now for me. I've never I never thought they were bad or anything, but I always thought it was kind of a whimsical, you know, like <laughs> yeah, like that. But uh, now it's all of a sudden quite yeah. serious. Uh, yeah, it's a little yeah. bit of a revelation here, folks. No, but I'm happy that it's about the Cold War and not that the crazy train is some kind of uh, uh, allegory for being on the road, which is like the normal lyric of any band, and that would be so boring. But this is really like, oh yeah, it's it's a bit of pretension in it, which is uh, really makes it good. Um, and I think it's just like you need a, a really good guitar player, you know? Like I, I'm, I, I'm really like I'm gonna continue to learn how to play this. It's really like for me trying to become better at guitar it's like yeah you know i need to climb this mountain and look down at the valley on the other side you know it's like really i'm wow this this is a bit too sure, hard but sure. uh, yeah i mean folks uh, you sitting at home of course with your guitars ready you know you're playing along with us uh i mean you're probably feeling that uh yeah either you feel like oh this is too hard or like ah yeah i was there 10 years ago Climbing that mountain, but I'm ah, yeah. you have to yeah work harder, you know. Like, but that's what I'm saying. You know, you have to work exactly. hard for this. You know, like, uh, and I, yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm happy to have both those listeners, and uh, also I wanted to say for practicing. This is just me, but I think it's kind of a general rule or tip. I like riffs that are fun. Yeah, when I practice, so hard yeah. but fun. And then I would say that this is, you know, it is. It, it for sure is. I mean, like I, I was talking about before. First, you get the chords down, then you get the the palm muting uh, sixteen notes in between. I mean, it's almost like it's thirty two notes. Also, when you do this, uh, uh, it's really fast. You know, you 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 really like the trick is you, before as I, like just right after you hit that ringing chord you have to go for the for the palm mute that's really like and it's really difficult and it's really nice when you get it sometimes yeah and i think that's uh yeah it makes it a, a fantastic riff um and i am so happy that i brought it here but i'm also happy that we got like a cohesive show <laughs> now for <laughs> yeah I mean, it's, it's, it might happen, and uh, I mean, uh, uh, we absolutely do not know no. the other guy's riff uh, for any of our picks. Like, uh, 
the maximum amount of pre-info could be that we're trying to match like do you have a slow riff or a fast riff or like is your riff very metal or less metal yeah to try and make it interesting but we we, we do not know the picks and uh it's it's hmm. No, Thanks for a good for show. Sure. And this riff, great. Full of vitamins. <laughs> so much vitamins in it. D, D vitamin. Uh, multi fruit uh, yeah. cocktail smoothie. And it's just uh, now I, I have a new appreciation for the lyrics oh, of this song. So great. Good nice. picks. Uh, well, I'll, I'll try to play it one more time. Sure. Yeah. All right, that's it for this week's episode of Gain It for Riffs. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Yeah, thank you, Ole. Uh, another fun episode. I'm hoping and I'm feeling that we're getting the hang of this. And uh, you listeners, if you want to support us, you can go to Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Um, yeah, I think it's the same place. And uh, give us a review with five stars. And that will help more people find uh, Gain It for Riffs. We're still in the starting point here, so... We're really trying to expand, and uh, we know that is a niche, so really we're on the lookout for the Riff Freaks, so you can help us out that way, and uh, we will return next week. Who's going to play us out? Uh, why don't you play us out? All right, let's see what we can do here. Jag tänkte först, är det solitude? Nej, det är ju den, just det. Uh, nice. Det är ju den, just det.